Praise be to God once again this morning. It is my pleasure and my privilege to worship God together with you, with new family and friends. I'm Harold, one of the pastors. We're continuing in this series on the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles or click on your phones, it'll also be projected overhead. The first three verses of 1 John chapter 3, I've entitled it, How Beloved, How Beloved. So let's give our attention to this, the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3. I'll read it for us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, Apostle John, throughout this letter, has been teaching persuasively, clearly, surgically. I said from the outset, this book is simple, but it's so deep, it's so surgical. But when he gets to this part, the first three verses, timed it for this Sunday, um, he loses it. This is Apostle John erupting with praise and just overcome with emotion. He really can't get his brain wrapped around How beloved, how beloved are the children of God. We just read really two aspects. John loses it over how beloved are the children of God, and then second, how glorious they shall become. So in our own lingo, I've just crafted it. Two angles we're going to take is John loses it over our familial love that we get from God as our father, and he loses it over our family likeness. Okay, so just two things, familial love and family likeness. Uh, Older translations, we use something called the English Standard Version here. There's the NASB, the New American Standard, or the NIV, and even the Old King James Version. We read, see what kind of love. It's kind of a, a little bit hackneyed, kind of a long run-on way of describing something. I'll get there, why this is translated this way. But in the older translation, it says, see what kind of love God bestows, bestows. It says here, given to us. I actually think bestows is a better word. It's a better word. It's, a, it's an older word. We've got to understand what that means. To bestow something means you give it in a, in a uh, turning point. You give it in an event. You know, to bestow honors on someone or to bestow or confer some title on someone. It's a formal and lavish presentation. That's what John is losing it over here. God doesn't just love you, but he actually bestows it upon you. I think the closest and only human analogy is marriage. Is marriage. You're in love with somebody. You think and feel like you love somebody. So you summon and promise all your love towards somebody in a, it's an event. It's a legal binding event. 
It's a formal, lavish presentation. And you promise and bestow your love upon somebody before friends and family and God and all the authority structures of state and church on heaven and earth. You see, you're bestowing love upon that person that you say that you will continue to love. So to bestow love for someone means to give your love in such a way that it permanently changes their life and yours. To bestow love upon someone means to give your love in such a way that it permanently dents. See, it permanently intrudes. It permanently changes their life and yours. And lo and behold, my friends, God does this with his children. Did you know that God bestows his love upon his people, his children, in such a way that it permanently changed his life too? Not only yours? What kind of love is this? This is why John erupts with praise. The original Greek, which the English is trying to translate from, this is an idiomatic expression, really. It's, it's just a figure of speech. The original Greek actually says, from what country does this love come from? And of course, here as modern listeners in English, are like, well, what does that mean? What country? Let me put it into our modern lingo. From what planet? That's how it begins. From what planet? What manner? What kind of love is this? See, this is how human vocabulary and language actually fails. John is just trying his best. He says it's so mind-blowing and magnificent. I don't know quite how to describe it, but I will start with this. From what planet does this love come from? See, John is saying, this love is so off the scales. It's so foreign. It's otherworldly. It's out of this world. It's not from our time and space. How beloved are the children of God. Now, please, please understand. There's a sense in which God loves all people in a general benevolent way. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. God gives life. God gives good gifts. He makes the sun rise and set upon every person, whether you acknowledge and worship and love and follow Jesus as God. But to become a Christian, which is one of the themes of this book, or to test yourself whether you really are a Christian, which is one of the themes of this book, which is a synonym for being a child of God. Listen close. A child of God never, never just says, oh, I believe in God in a general way. I'm a spiritual person. I'm into spirituality. I think God exists, yes. That is not what makes you a child of God, which is synonymous with Becoming a Christian. To become a Christian means that you yourself get loved personally. You yourself get loved directly, organically, vitally, and lavishly. There's a moment in time in which God bestows love upon you in such a way that it permanently changes the life of God and it changes your life too. This is why the Bible describes this crossover or this conversion from, even in chapter 3, from death to life. You pass out of death to life. Why, why does the Bible talk like that? 
He says, until you become a child of God, you're spiritually dead. You're the walking dead. I know you live and breathe and you can function and make a lot of money, but spiritually speaking, you're dead. You pass out of death to life. How do you go from death to life? The love of God comes to you directly and personally. Other biblical descriptions, you pass from darkness to light. From the kingdom of darkness, you come into light. Stands for knowledge and truth and glory. Or as the old famous hymn once penned, I once was lost, I once was lost, I once was lost, but now I am found. See, there's two kinds of people throughout history. There's only two. There's two kinds of people throughout all of humanity, and there's two kinds of people, of course, at our church at Christ Central, here at Fullerton and Artesia, and there's two kinds of groups at every church every Sunday. There's children of God, and then there's also our friends and people who are here who are just going to church. That's good. I'm glad you're coming. But there's children of God, and then there's churchgoers. What's the difference? Children of God, children of God, lose it. Children of God can't contain it. Children of God erupt. Do you know what they erupt with? With emotions and passions of praise, gratitude. You know, we confess through the Heidelberg Catechism. There's three movements of the Heidelberg Catechism, right? Guilt, grace of Jesus, and gratitude. That is the movement that is on repeat every day for a child of God. Christians, I'm not saying all the time you have to erupt and lose it, but you are capable of it, and I think it should become regular. Because you are so beloved, you can't get your mind around how beloved you are. What planet does this love come from? I can't believe I could be loved like this. You lose it. And praise and adoration and honor and gratitude in every relationship, every relationship, married, BFFs, roommates, classmates, alumni, coworkers. We all know, don't we? Come on, let's be honest here. It's never 50-50. We all know in every relationship who's loving who more. Don't you instinctively know that? Like who's doing the heavy lifting? You look at certain marriages and it's really clear, wow, that wife loves the husband way more. You look at best friends and said, oh, that one is the one that's sacrificing and loving way more. And of course, on Mother's Day, some of us are filled with praise because we think about our moms or you are a mom right now. You're filled with praise because you know in that relationship who's been doing more. Some of you might be filled with pain, might be filled with longing to become a mom. But you are filled with pain because in your relationship with your earthly mom, your mom wasn't the one that was doing more. And here's what John is saying. Do you know that in a love relationship with God, as beloved children of God, it's always, and it's always been, and it'll always be completely lopsided. It's completely lopsided. John has an outburst because he just can't believe how beloved he is by God. Now here's churchgoers. Churchgoers are going to have a really hard time losing it and erupting in praise and gratitude. 
You're almost incapable of it. Do you, do you want to know why? Because you're not concerned about how beloved you are. Your dominant thought, your dominant drive of coming to church is this. You want to know how blessed you could be. You want to know how blessed you could be. If you're a religious good person, God should bless you more. If you're a good mom, if you're a good dad, if you're a good boss, if you're a good student, if you're a good worker, if you're a good servant at church, if you're good contributing at small group, if you're good at serving, you even went on mission trips, you share with other people about Jesus Christ. By being a good person, you are really concerned about God, I'm good, therefore you must bless me more. Now, this is why it's going to be very hard for you to ever erupt in praise. Because, you see, you're saying to God, you should just pay me my wages. Where's my paycheck? I'm do this. Have you ever seen in your company or workplace someone losing it in praise and wonder because they got their paycheck? Have you ever seen that? You'll never see it. Or else that person, something's off. But if you get a paycheck that you feel like you earned, you deserve. See, here's the difference. Children of God feel down to their bones. We are indebted to God because of what kind of love he has bestowed upon us. Churchgoers, churchgoers, it's like, God, uh, when you owe me, when are you going to pay up? When am I going to get my due? Oh, here, Apostle John in chapter 3, as he just loses and interrupts, it's because Christian people know that they deserve hell, but they get heaven instead because of adoption paid by Jesus Christ. People who go to church, you can go to church all your life, all your life. You can become a pastor of a church. But if you expect and demand heaven, and you're surprised by hell, and then you're outraged by Apostle John and Jesus teaching stuff like this, do you know that you're actually not children of God, but you're children of, of the devil? It's right there in chapter 3. And you're just outraged. You're just so offended by it. You're blind to it. It actually shows you really who you belong to. There's two kinds of people. There's two spiritual types. There's two conditions. There are two families and there's two destinies. There's only two. But John says, how beloved are those born again of God because they've come to believe and worship Jesus as God and Savior. Here's the second reason why he loses it. Family likeness. There's familial love that is so organic and intimate and then once you are so loved by God, go figure, you're going to become more like God. I have four things about family likeness. First, you know God in ways that the world does not know God. We read that in verse 1. The world does not know him, but children of God know him. Any child in this room, you know your mom, you know your dad in ways that no one else really knew your mom or dad. It's impossible. A child shares the blood, or if not, the common nature, the DNA, the upbringing, the household, the environment, the culture, and the values. 
A child shares a common nature of a parent in an internal, vital relationship. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 dares to declare children of God are, quote, partakers of the divine nature. Children of God get to know God in ways that the world cannot know God. Now, for those of us who are parents, isn't this not so... Aren't your kids so adorable and scary? Huh? Aren't they so cute? Just wait until they grow up a little more. And then they also become frightening and sobering. Uh, people say, my oldest daughter, Taylor, looks more like mom. The younger daughter, Elizabeth, looks more like dad. She hates that, though, by the way. <laughs> they look like mom and dad. But then it's the, the crisscross is crazy. But... Taylor tends to act more like dad while looking like mom, and Elizabeth tends to act more like mom while looking like dad. About a week and a half ago, I had the privilege to preach to a group of pastors across the country, and I was also really, really good friends that are going on to close to 30 years, and I was pumped. My heart was like beating out of my chest for this. And uh, every week now, I try to connect with my teenage daughters to share prayer requests. I want to spiritually check in to know what's going on with them, and I want them to know what's going on with me. Well, that day, I was sharing, hey, you got to pray for Daddy today. I'm talking about this message about friends for life, like forever friends. And Taylor looked at the program. She looked at the title, Friends for Life, and here's what she says. Jesus is my friend. That's like a good older daughter. Jesus is my friend. And Elizabeth turns and says, well, I feel bad for him. <laughs> I've heard that voice before. <laughs> I know that spirit, that sarcasm. More my wife, some of me. It's humbling. But when you become a child of God, it's the mind of Jesus the Holy Spirit, God's heart, like all of it somehow passes through into you and you begin to share the common nature. And as a child of God, this just starts to go ballistic. You take a truth and it doesn't just settle upon your mind. It makes intellectual sense, but it overflows into your feelings and into your heart and into all of the rest of your life, every part of your life. Listen, look at this. In verse 3, when he says, see what kind of love the, the, uh, God the Father has given or bestowed upon us, John is doing the very thing that he tells others they should do. He says, you should know God so up close and personal, that's called fellowship. Christian people don't just know things about God. Christian people know God personally and directly that it becomes like you're a child of God. And then notice what happens. When you know these things about God lavishly and directly... You'll lose it. And John does this himself right here, right in front of us. You know, growing up, I don't think there was a day, honestly, where I ever doubted my mother's love for me. She doted on me. She still dotes on me to this day. I grew up living and breathing for 46 years of my life that my mom's love for me is absolute. It's like a universal law. It runs the cosmos. 
And I remember when college was finishing after my dad had died, and I was really sensing so strongly I need to go to seminary. I really wanted to stay in a seminary in L.A. to stay close to my widowed mom. But my options were also in San Diego and on the East Coast. My mom, without hesitation, told me, took me aside, looked me in the eyes and said, Harold, you will never, never make a decision because you're concerned about me. You have to go and follow the will of God. You have to go follow the will of God. And I didn't lose it in front of her because I wanted to (laughs) preserve myself and I lost it for days on end after that. She let me go. That's one of my love languages. Now, this week, as I recall this, I lost it a couple times this week just recalling it. Now, what's going on there? What's happening? Did I get new information about my mom? Was my mom actually becoming more my mom when she did that? Was I becoming more of her son when she did that? Now, here's what was happening. I didn't get any new data, but I was able to see her love for me better. I was experiencing, beholding. I was erupting at a mother's love for me much better. Now, how can this happen with God? How can that happen with God, for the children of God, or for you to become a child of God? To become beloved, to have a beloved status, legally, eternally, the way that God sues you, sees you, like this is true of you, that status to be so beloved of God is free. It's unconditional. Entirely. It's based upon the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the substitute Savior for you. The beloved status is entirely free and unconditional. But do you want to erupt over it? Do you want to enjoy it? Do you want to experience it? Do you want to feel it? The only way is as you grow up into family likeness. You will always be In Jesus Christ, if you have repented and believe in him, you just cling to him. You fall into his arms. You will always be a beloved child of God. That's your status, period, whether you feel it or not. But if you want to feel it, you want eruptions, you want experiences of it, you got to change. You got to change into his family likeness. Family likeness number one, you know God in ways that the world does not know him. Here's family likeness number two, love to obey. Love to obey. Can I read a couple verses here? We did not read chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. John is saying, you are born of God. You know God. You're beloved of God. 
you will not go on practicing, loving, not repenting of, progressing and increasing in, sinning. You're going to practice righteousness. Listen, the children of God are never told, not once, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, and don't do that, and don't do that, so that you can become the children of God. God never talks that way. In fact, I don't know any parent who talks that way. Do you know any parents who go to their kids and say, you should do this, and if you don't do that, or you should do this, and don't do that, and only if you do this or don't do that, then you're going to become my son or daughter? I'm on how much wiser, how much infinitely better and loving, how perfect is God as a parent? By the way, he's a communal community as parenting. He's not just by himself. It's three in one. Three in one. How infinitely perfect and holy and wise is our God? So God addresses us in this way. He addresses his children in this way. It's the Bible's motivational way. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that. Because you are a child of God. Not to become a child of God, but because you already are. Not to become a child of God, not to be loved by God, but because you are already loved by God and you are beloved. You are a child. Here's how the Bible argues. It's always beloved, therefore behave. Identity, therefore morality. Who you are, who you really are, who are you? Who are you really? Do you know it? Do you really, really live out of that? Who you really are determines how you live. This is always true. Oh, hear me today. This is always true. It always is in action. Meaning when you don't obey God, it's because you're not really sure about who you are in Christ. I was trying to catch up on the Avengers franchise. I was watching Iron Man 2. It's crazy online. And in an otherwise kind of boring movie, to be honest. Midway through, I was like, there's a turning point here. Tony Stark is watching this old film. You know it's old because it's actually on this reel that's actually playing. And Tony Stark's dad is sitting there head of the Stark Industries, is scientist, really brilliant guy. And at one moment toward the end of the film, he's talking to Tony, and he turns to him and says, I don't have the technology yet, but later on, you, I hope you figure out. And he talks to his son. He talks to his son. And I'm going to butcher it, but he says something to the effect, Tony always has been and always will be. My greatest creation is you. And Tony Stark, previous to that moment in that movie, has been drunk. He's been in the dumps. dumps. He just basically disappeared from being a superhero. He's been an embarrassment to Iron Man. As soon as his dad tells him those words, he almost goes and expresses his love for Pepper Potts. And he gets all of his creative genius juices flowing. To me, my film commentary... It's the turning point of that movie, maybe the whole series. You know all your sinning? You know all your venting? You know all your bitterness? Do you know all your failing? Do you know all your falling short? Do you know all of that stuff that comes out of us is because you are forgetting and confusing and not believing who you really are in Jesus Christ? 
There is nobody in this room who can go on sinning if you really know and believe how beloved you are. So the Bible argues and motivates in this way. Remember, remember, remember. Recall, reset, reclaim, renew, redo. Every day, who you are in Jesus Christ. Oh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, It's not that we love God. He loved us first and sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 reads, We did not love God. We did not love God, but God loved us first. Telltale sign, is this you? Are you so beloved of God? Are you a child of God? Here's how you can tell. You will then love being told what to do by God. Family likeness number two, sign number two is you love to obey. If you are so beloved of God, you will love to obey God. Because go figure. Children of God know God in ways the world does not know God. Children of God get to love God because they have been so lavishly loved first. Therefore, children of God instinctively trust and obey the laws of God because they must be laws of love. Children of God love being told what to do by God because they know each and every law must be full, top to bottom, beginning to end. There is not one ounce of intent or master plan or foreknowledge or anything in all the world that God would dare tell you to do that would somehow not be loving for you and harmful for you. And counterproductive for you, or self-destructive for you, or limiting for you, or constricting for you. Children of God love to obey. Children of God love to obey. This is why we offer things like the Essentials Course, a vital part of our recommended journey. I cannot encourage you more. I know so many of our folks haven't taken it yet. Do you know what we teach you in Essentials Course? Yours truly, I'll do it this Sunday. We want to teach you that the way you read and interpret and, interpret and apply the Bible should not be as some kind of ball and chain. You got to read and interpret and understand the Bible as laws of love. We teach you to understand and interpret the Bible. If you're anything like me, I grew up not understanding how to really understand the Bible. That's what we'll do in essentials. You know, I love one of my favorite verses in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Favorite, but striking. And this is the love of God. This is the love of God. You really want to know if the love of God is at action in your life? Here's how you know. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Do you know why you and I naturally react to any laws as burdensome or constricting or something inherently evil about it? Do you know why? I assure you it's not because it's from God. It's because of that other lover you had. It's because of an abusive parent. It's because of a negligent parent. It's because of a false prophet, a fake shepherd, a horrible boss, a BFF, or a girlfriend who broke your heart and betrayed you. 
I would too. You are not prone to trust and obey because you've seen so many people who say who love you who don't actually come through. This is what we call the fallout from the fall. This is what we call the consequences of people who say they love you but can never actually fulfill it. Do you know that when it comes to God and his children, his love for his children is pure. It's tried and true. And he loves you so much, he would sacrifice and give up his own son to get you into his family. Family likeness. Know God in ways that the world does not know God. Second, you love to obey. Here's third. Love one another. Love one another. Chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 14. Uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 20. It's repetitions all over this letter. I'm not going to read it or spend too much time on it. Because our dear brother, Pastor Jimmy Han, will preach on it in the coming weeks. But John says it so much that he is implying to us not only is this central and important, but I think he keeps saying it because we have a hard time doing it. Is our love, is love among Christians, is a love found in the church of Jesus Christ better than the way the world loves? My friend, how do you speak of and treat and honor and serve and sacrifice and pray for and love his people, the church? John says, there can be no discrepancy here. There can be no confusion here. You love God and you know your beloved status in God. You're enjoying it. Therefore, you will go overboard and lose it in love for your brother and sister. Here's number four and we're done. Family likeness. Know God in ways that the world does not know God. Second, second, we love to obey. Third, love one another. And here's fourth, love overcoming hate. I do have to mention this because it's all over the Gospels and in this letter. Once you become a beloved child of God, once you love to obey him, once God bestows his loving status upon you, it is promised it's not just probable or possible. It's promised. You're going to be hated too. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that um, to be beloved of God and to live that out and really enjoy it means there's going to be some hate that comes into your life? Don't be so surprised. Here's Martin Lloyd-Jones, a commentary on these books. He observed, the world doesn't hate good people. The world doesn't hate smart people. The world doesn't hate successful people. The world doesn't hate religious people. The world doesn't hate compassionate people. The world certainly doesn't hate humanitarian good people. The world doesn't hate time of the year people. The world does not hate CNN heroes. The world never hates just good and religious people. Why? Because the world feels that it's a compliment to itself. Do you know who the world hates? They hate Christian people and only Christian people. Well, why would that be the case? Because the world feels condemned, not complimented by your Jesus Christ. 
Do you know Jesus Christ came into the world not to compliment, but the world will take it that he just came to condemn and crush, but he actually came to save. John, actually in chapter 3, points to Cain killed Abel. He murdered his brother. Why would that be? Not because Abel was hateful. Cain was. Cain was. Cain knew he was not righteous. Abel was righteous. So that feeling of condemnation being less than, which is all in his own conscience, which is true, drove him to murder and kill off his own brother. Here's what the world cannot handle. They can handle religious, good, successful people. They can handle people who save the world through curing diseases and helping the poor. They will applaud you all the way to your death. But the world will never applaud righteousness of God, conviction of sin, that salvation only comes by sheer grace, and it only comes through God alone in Jesus as Savior of the world. Oh, but how beloved, how beloved are the children of God. For even while you are hated in this world, you take heart. For John wrote, in glory you shall see him as he is and you become just like him. God our Father will never give up on you. What he starts, he always finishes. What he plants by way of seed will always come to full fruition. You and I, oh, beloved children of God, no matter how much hatred or opposition you might go through, even within your own families over Jesus, you are destined for glory with him. On the Mount of Transfiguration and even Apostle Paul when he got thrown off on a horse, all four people, three disciples and Paul were thrown off. They were blinded by the stunning glory of God. Do you know what John is saying here? People can't handle the glory of God. We're blinded by it. But do you know that for the children of God someday, he's going to make you just as glorious? You'll, able, you'll be able to handle it. You won't be blinded by it because he's going to make you perfect. He's going to glorify you. And you know what you're going to leave behind all by God's power and grace? You're going to leave all your regret behind. You're going to leave all your vanity behind. You're going to leave all your pride behind. You're going to leave all your sinning behind. You're going to leave all your weakness and frailty and doubting. All of it behind. All of your sadness. All of your sorrow. All of it will be left behind. John loses it because he says, not only how beloved are we, but how glorious we shall become. In a blink of an eye, by God's sheer love and grace for his own. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. As an old song, again, one day, maybe you can take it. I'll sing it for you. But not today. But we shall overcome the children of God. How beloved and how you will be made pure just like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word today, and we pray, now I pray, your word would take root, and it would produce all the fruit and effects, not only by your power and love, but by our response and obedience to it. Hear us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.